0: chapter 5 of a gentleman of leisure this librivox recording is in the public domain a gentleman of leisure by pg whithouse 5 a thief in the night how long the light had been darting about the room like a very much enlarged firefly jimmy did not know it seemed to him like hours for it had woven itself into an incoherent waking dream of his, and for a moment, as the mists of sleep passed away from his brain, he fancied that he was dreaming still. Then sleep left him, and he realized that the light, which was now moving slowly across the bookcase, was a real light. That the man behind it could not have been there long was plain, or he would have seen the chair and its occupant. He seemed to be taking the room step by step. As Jimmy sat up noiselessly and gripped the arms of the chair in readiness for a spring, the light passed from the bookcase to the table. Another foot or so to the left, and it would have fallen on Jimmy. On it came. From the position of the ray Jimmy could see that the burglar was approaching on his side of the table though until that day he had not been in the room for two months its geography was clearly stamped on his mind's eye he knew almost to a foot where his visitor was standing consequently when rising swiftly from the chair he made a football dive into the darkness it was no speculative dive it had a conscious aim and it was not restrained by any uncertainty as to whether the road to the burglar's knees was clear or not His shoulder bumped into a human leg. His arms closed instantaneously on it and pulled. There was a yelp of dismay and a crash. The lantern bounced away across the room and wrecked itself on the roof of the steam-heater. Its owner collapsed in a heap on top of Jimmy. Jimmy, underneath at the fall, speedily put himself uppermost with a twist of his body. He had every advantage. The burglar was a small man and had been taken very much by surprise, and any fight there might have been in him, in normal circumstances, had been shaken out of him by the fall. He lay still, not attempting to struggle. Jimmy half-rose, and pulling his prisoner by inches to the door, felt up the wall till he found the electric light-button. The yellow glow which flooded the room disclosed a short, stocky youth of obviously bowery extraction. A shock of vivid red hair was the first thing about him that caught the eye. A poet would have described it as Titian. Its proprietors' friends and acquaintances probably called it carrots. Looking up at Jimmy from under this wealth of crimson was a not unpleasing face. It was not handsome, certainly, but there were suggestions of latent good-humor. The nose had been broken at one period of its career and one of the ears was undeniably of the cauliflower type. But these are little accidents which may happen to any high-spirited young gentleman. In costume the visitor had evidently been guided rather by individual taste than by the dictates of fashion. His coat was of rusty black, his trousers of gray, picked out with stains of various colors. Beneath the coat was a faded red-and-white sweater a hat of soft felt lay on the floor by the table. The cut of the coat was poor, and the sit of it spoiled by a bulge in one of the pockets. Diagnosing this bulge correctly, Jimmy inserted his hand and drew out a dingy revolver. "'Well,' he said, rising. Like most people, he had often wondered what he should do if he were to meet a burglar, and he had always come to the conclusion that curiosity would be his chief emotion. His anticipations had proved perfectly correct. Now that he had abstracted his visitor's gun, he had no wish to do anything but engage him in conversation. A burglar's life was something so entirely outside his experience. He wanted to learn the burglar's point of view. Incidentally, he reflected with amusement as he recalled his wager, he might pick up a few useful hints. The man on the floor sat up and rubbed the back of his head ruefully. "'Gee!' he muttered. "'I thought some guy had thrown the building at me.' "'It was only little me,' said Jimmy. "'Sorry if I hurt you at all. You really want a mat for that sort of thing.' The man's hand went furtively to his pocket. Then his eye caught sight of the revolver, which Jimmy had placed on the table. With a sudden dash he seized it. Now, then, boss," he said between his teeth. Jimmy extended his hand towards him and unclasped it. Six cartridges lay in the palm. "'Why worry,' he said. "'Sit down and let us talk of life.' "'It's a fair cop, boss,' said the man resignedly. "'Away with the melancholy,' said Jimmy. "'I'm not going to call the police. You can go whenever you like.' The man stared. "'I mean it,' said Jimmy. "'What's the trouble? I've no grievance. I wish, though, if you haven't any important engagement, you would stop and talk a while first. A broad grin spread itself across the other's face. There was something singularly engaging about him when he grinned. "'Gee, if youse ain't goin' to call de cops, I'll talk to de chicken's roost again.' "'Talking, however,' said Jimmy is dry work. Are you a teetotaler?" "'What's dat? Me? On your way, boss.' "'Then you'll find a pretty decent whiskey in that decanter. Help yourself. I think you'll like it.' A musical gurgling, followed by a contented sigh, showed that the statement had been tested and proved correct. "'Cigar?' asked Jimmy. "'Me for dat,' assented his visitor. "'Take a handful.' I ate them alive," said the marauder jovially, gathering in the spoils. Jimmy crossed his legs. By the way, he said, let there be no secrets between us. What's your name? Mine is Pitt, James Willoughby Pitt. Mullins is my moniker, boss. Spike they calls me. And you make a living at this sort of thing? Not so bad. How did you get in here? Spike Mullins grinned. Gee, ain't the window open? If it hadn't been, I'd have busted it. Jimmy eyed him fixedly. Can you use an oxacetylene blowpipe? he demanded. Spike was on the point of drinking. He lowered his glass and gaped. What's dat? he said. An oxacetylene blowpipe. Search me, said Spike, blankly that gets past me." Jimmy's manner grew more severe. "'Can you make soup?' "'Soup, boss?' "'He doesn't know what soup is,' said Jimmy despairingly. "'My good man, I'm afraid you have missed your vocation. You have no business to be trying to burgle. You don't know the first thing about the game.' Spike was regarding him with furtive disquiet over his glass. Till now the red-haired one had been very well satisfied with his methods, but criticism was beginning to sap his nerve. He had heard tales of masters of his craft who made use of fearsome implements such as Jimmy had mentioned—burglars who had an airy acquaintanceship, bordering on insolent familiarity with the marvels of science—men to whom the latest inventions were as familiar as his own Jimmy was to himself. Could this be one of that select band? Jimmy began to take on a new aspect in his eyes. "'Spike,' said Jimmy. "'Huh? Have you a thorough knowledge of chemistry, physics? On your way, boss. Toxicology? Search me. Electricity and microscopy? Nine, ten, dat's to finish. I'm down and out.' Jim shook his head sadly. "'Give up burglary,' he said. "'It's not in your line.' better try poultry farming." Spike twiddled his glass, abashed. "'Now I,' said Jimmy airily, "'am thinking of breaking into a house tonight." "'Gee!' exclaimed Spike, his suspicions confirmed at last. "'I thought yous was in de game, boss. Sure, you're de guys dat's on to all de curves. I thought so all along.' "'I should like to hear,' said Jimmy amusedly. As one who draws out an intelligent child, how you would set about burgling one of those upper town villas. My own work has been on a somewhat larger scale on the other side of the Atlantic. The other side? I have done as much in London as anywhere else, said Jimmy. A great town, London, full of opportunities for the fine worker. Did you hear of the cracking of the new Asiatic Bank in Lombard Street? No, boss whispered Spike. Was that you?" "'The police would like an answer to the same question,' he said self-consciously. "'Perhaps you heard nothing of the disappearance of the Duchess of Haven's diamonds?' "'Was that? "'The thief,' said Jimmy, flicking a speck of dust from his coat-sleeve, "'was discovered to have used an oxacetylene blowpipe.' The rapturous intake of Spike's breath was the only sound that broke the silence. Through the smoke his eyes could be seen slowly widening. "'But about this villa,' said Jimmy, "'I am always interested even in the humblest sides of the profession. Now tell me, supposing you were going to break into a villa, what time of night would you do it?' "'I always tinks it's best either late like dis or when de folks is in at supper,' said Spike respectfully. Jimmy smiled a faint, patronizing smile, and nodded. Well, and what would you do? I'd rub around some to see if there isn't there a window open somewheres, said Spike diffidently. And if there wasn't? I'd climb up the porch and into one of the bedrooms, said Spike, almost blushing. He felt like a boy reading his first attempts at original poetry to an established critic. What would this master cracksman, this polished wielder of the oxyacetylene blowpipe, this expert in toxicology, microscopy, and physics think of his callow outpourings? How would you get into the bedroom?" Spike hung his head. "'Bust a catch with me, Jimmy,' he whispered shamefacedly. "Burst the catch with your Jimmy?' "'It's the only way I ever learned,' pleaded Spike the expert was silent he seemed to be thinking the other watched his face humbly how would yous do it boss he ventured timidly at last eh how would yous do it why i'm not sure said the master graciously whether your way might not do in a case like that it's crude of course but with a few changes it would do gee boss Is that right?' queried the astonished disciple. "'It would do,' said the master, frowning thoughtfully. "'It would do quite well—quite well.' Spike drew a deep breath of joy and astonishment. That his method should meet with the approval of such a mind. "'Gee!' he whispered. "'As who should say, I am Napoleon?' End of chapter 5